Blog Talk Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com and Scout.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of 97.7th of Roman and Huntsville and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, Man the Control, back in the studio. We have a lot to talk about tonight. we got some kickoff times announced today. Uh, we're hearing more and more about how the draft situation with Alabama is going to end up in baseball. But first, we're going to start with some breaking news about a rival SEC West program Things not going swimmingly in the early hot summer months in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. With more, we're going to swing it to Thomas White. Absolutely. Uh, as reported by the advocate uh, out of breaking news out of Baton Rouge, LSU quarterback Anthony Jennings, along with two others, Dwayne Thomas and the other name I cannot figure out, I'm not even going to try and pronounce to be honest with you, have been arrested by the LSU police. Um the reason for Anthony Jennings' arrest was unauthorized entry of a dwelling. Now, I, I realize that a quick Google is not the best way to figure out what the true, what the true issue, like what it can do, what kind of problems it can have. But based on a quick Google and trying to figure out what the heck it means. Uh, in Louisiana, this, I'm just going to read this verbatim. In Louisiana, burglary is broken into two categories, with fine and prison terms increasing according to the severity of the crime. Simple burglary includes unauthorized entry into a dwelling. Notice that's what Anthony Jennings has been charged with. Uh, unauthorized entry into a dwelling, vehicle, watercraft, or other structure with the intent to commit a felony or theft, or theft therein. Penalties include a fine of up to $2,000 and up to 12 years in prison, or both. I would hard pressed to think that we would get to 12 years in prison but this is another headache for the LSU football team going into a season where if they didn't have quarterback questions before they damn sure do now and it might they really do Thomas a quarterback question or two uh, yeah I mean uh, I don't think there's any doubt now uh, it just it, it, it heightened uh, the uh, the uh, for uh, Brandon Harris to develop. I mean, it just basically puts him on a – and this is somebody that last year couldn't even call the plays. Uh, the offensive tackles had to call out the plays. The center had to tell him the cadence. I mean, to say he was a little lost early is an understatement. Uh, he has a lot of physical talent, but, again, it's gonna he's going to have to really grind, and uh, he's really going to move up his timetable. A lot of people didn't think they were decided on a starter, but Jennings is definitely – going to be in trouble with at least a likely suspension. Uh, so this may end the battle before it even started, but uh, Cam Cameron's got his work cut out for him, no doubt. 
And the other news today is that the Southeastern Conference announced uh, some kickoff times uh, for a couple of Alabama games. Uh, the Middle Tennessee game will now kick off at 3 p.m. And the Ole Miss Rebels, as conference play opens in Bryant-Denny, 8.15 p.m. Uh, so those are some, some interesting stats. The first game of the season will be played against Wisconsin out in Dallas, and that's at 7 p.m. kickoff. And I'm giving you central time, by the way, on all these. But, uh, Drew, I don't know if you've had the joy yet. Oh, yeah, you have once. But uh, Thomas and I both can, and we can all three. From a media perspective, an 8.15 kickoff is, is really not that fun because uh, you don't get home very early. But, no, yeah. uh, I got home from the Iron Bowl at 5 a.m. Driving and doing uh, doing many other things. Yes, it was, it was an enjoyable 5 a.m., but no doubt a long day. Uh, that's going to be a long day, and hopefully it'll be a long day for Hugh Freeze because uh, they've torn the goalpost down. I'm sure they've got prints and pictures up everywhere all over Oxford, and uh, they they gave themselves rings basically for beating Alabama. So. Uh, uh, and, and of course, the last time they played in Bryant Denny Stadium, they got beat down 25 to nothing. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I know it's a game. If I were an Alabama football player, I would be looking forward to getting another piece of Ole Miss. Oh, they will. It's, it's, it's the revenge game, uh, unless there happens to be, and we hope there is a rematch against Ohio State much later in the year. But that's the revenge game of the regular season, without a doubt. Uh, you know, we're mostly everybody's revenge game, but this year Ole Miss is Alabama's revenge game. And uh, even though goalposts won't come down like they do in Oxford, you know, I will say this, that uh, people will have all day to get, quote, unquote, worked up. And uh, should Alabama <laughs> pull out a victory in that game, uh, you know, come around 1130, 1145, that uh, strip in Tuscaloosa is going to be one madhouse to be walking up and down. But, Drew, uh, we've already got our first guest of the evening on hold, and I'll go ahead and let you do the honors in introducing him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's been a big-time contributor to uh, to, the, to this show as a guest, and he always brings it, always has excellent info and insight into the Alabama football program. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. I've worked with him closely uh, for several years. A uh, great source for Alabama football, but he's always a uh, uh, brought uh, excellent knowledge to the table on BAMS Radio and is one of our best guests, and that's William Redfish Barger of Alabama Intel. William, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. How about y'all? Doing really well, man. And I know uh, you were uh, you had a you had a you had a, 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 a your ear to the ground, and you were uh, writing and uh, you were following the progress of Alabama's OLDL camp uh, closely, especially with your affinity. Uh, for uh, offensive and defensive linemen and front seven defensive prospects. I know it was a very interesting and uh, one of your favorite weekends of the year during the, the summer camp process for Alabama. What were some of your thoughts and observations and info you uh, you were able to gather from the Alabama's uh, camp this past Saturday? Well, I think the, the first thing that, that jumps off the page at you when you when you see them, you know, live and in person is just the, the absolute – you know, NFL-type size of uh, two of Alabama's current uh, defensive tackle commitments who both participated in the camp, uh, Kendall Jones and and, uh, Raekwon Davis. Is it Raekwon Davis? 
it is. Yes, it is. Raquan Davis, William. I, I just drew a blank on his last name. Sorry about that. You know, both of those kids, um, you know, Kendall Jones is probably a legit six four and a half. you know, 355, 360 pounds with a, a low level of body fat. You know, he looks like a, you know, a guy that you would expect to turn on the TV and see playing defensive tackle in the NFL right now. Uh, you know, Davis is more of a, um, you know, a longer – uh, you know, leaner type guy. I think he's somebody that could play, you know, a five technique defensive end at Alabama or, you know, possibly even jump over to the other side of the ball and play right tackle. But but I think, you know, with Alabama's needs right now, and this is certainly a kid when you consider that, um, you know, he's from the state of Mississippi and, you know, Alabama certainly struggled to not only, you know, get kids to leave the state of Mississippi, but once they do get them committed, uh, like you saw last year with Leo Lewis, they they do you know at least in the recent past have struggled to keep him in the fold. Uh, but I think he's certainly a guy that that projects um, at a need position for Alabama going forward into the the 2016 season with the departures along the defensive line. Uh, I think he's certainly a guy that that Kirby Smart and Bo Davis would like to keep in the fold as a five technique defensive lineman. Um, you know, on the other side of the ball, I think the you know, the kid that really jumped off the page at me was the 2017 um, left tackle prospect for Madison Academy, Austin Troxel. Um, when you hear people start talking about, you know, tall, long, um, you know, athletic people that can bend and move and do all those things fluidly, uh, he certainly fits the bill, especially, um, you know, he's just a rising junior, um, you know, in high school, so he's still got some developing and you know, some motor skills are probably going to catch up with that tall body. I mean, he is every bit of six foot seven uh, and probably, you know, has a chance to even get taller, I'd say. Uh, but he was the, the offensive lineman that, that really jumped off the page at me. Um, you know, certainly a kid that, that Alabama um, has placed a high priority on for, for their 2017 class. Um, you know, I thought the, the available talent on hand. Uh, you know, kind of fell off sharply, um, especially at the tackle spots other than him. Um, you know, the other guys that were there were, were more interior guys, which for the 2016 class, Alabama is full at that position, um, unless Deontay Brown or Chris Owens decides to go to another school, you won't see Alabama take any more interior offensive line prospects. So, you know, of all the guys, you know, there were some people there that, um, you know, Alabama is certainly involved with, but didn't, um, you know, participate in came the camp. You know, the defensive end from Mississippi, Simmons, was there. Um, so, you know, there were certainly some other prospects there, but of the ones that were working out with the coaches and participating, um, you know, I thought Austin Troxel, Kendall Jones, or Raekwon Davis were the three that really stood out the most. William, uh, before I forget, I want to ask you, because you have got an ear to the ground, as you said, better than pretty much all of our guests on here, uh, what type of things, good and bad, are you hearing thus far about the off-season workouts, particularly the skeleton drills for the offense-defense 707-type drills? Um, you know, the early reports are that, that you know, they, they really feel like that they've um, upgraded athletically. Um, you know, at the skill positions in certain areas, you know, I think the ones that, that come to mind that I've gotten specific reports about, um, you know, are uh, Dalen Charlotte and Calvin Ridley at wide receiver. 
Minka Fitzpatrick, and Kendall Sheffield at defensive back. I think those four guys are the four um, of, of the skill players that you hear the most about. You know, certainly guys like Lester Cotton, um, it's hard to, you know, get a gauge on what he can and can't do for this football team this year until they put the pads on. But, you know, that that is kind of the consistent report that I've gotten from sources that have, have seen it is that, you know, this is a, a team that, that looks the part, you know, in workout clothes and also probably even, you know, better news in my opinion, um, that there seems to be a, a little bit of an edge uh, that's, uh, back with this bunch that, that reminds me of some of the teams, um, you know, from Coach Saban's earlier part of his tenure. Um, you know, when you when you start getting reports about cornerbacks uh, getting into fights and winning the fights, we're starting offensive linemen. Um, that that's a uh, an interesting topic that, that certainly we can't go into any deeper on the radio. But uh, I, I think there's some. Uh, you know, some guys that would surprise some of the people that are the leaders right now in the off-season program. Some of the the better leaders aren't exactly people that would consider full-time starters. I mean, they play a lot. They're, they're kind of role players in certain instances, but that's where a lot of the leadership and the, the inner policing of the team is coming from right now. Uh, I think they're doing a better job of um, making some of these freshmen that are coming in with you know, five-star chips on their shoulders and then kind of a sense of entitlement. They're they're letting them know that, you know, that's over with. Um, you know, we don't care about your press clippings. We don't care how big you are. Um, you know, you've got to earn it every day. If, if you want to stand in the front of the line next to me, um, then you better start finishing first in the drills on Wednesday and not come back out here on Friday and expect to be in the front of the line when you were last on Wednesday. So, a lot of good chemistry and, and uh, locker room type um, progressions, I think, are being made with this team. And I think, you know, you saw Coach Saban allude to it back in the spring. I think he really likes this football team. You don't really see him, um, you know, rant and rave about players in a positive manner very often. And I saw that out of him consistently back in the spring. And William, I realize that it doesn't mean as much when they're not in full pads. I, I get that, but what, if anything, regarding these seven on sevens, have you heard about the quarterbacks? Um, nothing really different than than what I heard or saw in the spring. Um, I, I think that it's still shaping up to be a um, a one and two battle with Jacob Coker and, and David Cornwell. Um, you know, I think those two really went at it pretty good back in the spring. There was a period of time, although brief, that you know some people on the coaching staff thought that Cornwell was about to take the spot, the number one spot, I should say, away from Coker um, the week leading up to the 8 day game, and he just didn't quite finish the drill, um, you know, in practice. But the the you know kind of the sentiment right now is if he was able to close the gap as quickly as he did, you know, with just a month of practice in the spring, um, you know, after, like you've been talking about, after two and a half months of seven-on-seven work, four days a week, um, you know, what's this quarterback battle going to shape up like in August? And, you know, I've already been told by, you know, one member of the staff that they um, expect it to go probably all the way to the Ole Miss game. 
um, before they make a final decision. And, and there are some people that think that um, David Cornwell is going to, you know, have the ability and the uh, the grasp of the playbook and, and probably the confidence of his teammates and his coach. Yeah, I'm not making a prediction right now. I'm just trying to give you some insight into what some of the, you know, the off-season scuttlebutt is. But there are some people in that football field, a football building, that think David Cornwell will be the starter versus Ole Miss. And that may very well happen, William. I, I wouldn't. I'm. Pardon me, Kerry. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if that did happen. As far as Cornwell, I know he took a lot of the first team reps for most of spring practice. Had a little set, step back at the end, but I do think uh, he's. The, Jake Coker has not uh, separated himself. He's going to get another opportunity, and uh, we will see if that happens. But I wanted to get your thoughts on the roster additions, uh, or at least the one uh, that is now official, and that's Richard Mullaney uh, from Oregon State, uh, former Bolitnikoff uh, Award, uh, a watch list member uh, from two, after his 2013 season when he had the, uh, the, the 55 catches, and uh, or the 53 catches uh, for 755 yards and the five touchdowns. I've been impressed with his film and his body control and hands, and obviously Cameron Sims is having a really good spring, and he could have been been developing into the best wide receiver on the team. That's saying something with the talent in that core. Uh, But obviously he had a severe knee injury, uh, Dante Hightower-esque. But I know you've seen the young man and and done some due diligence. What is your take on the addition of Mulaney? Um, You know, I think he's a very good pickup for for the program. Um, And then like you touched on, um, you know, prior to – um, that, that devastating knee injury, Cameron Sims was considered the best wide receiver on this football team. And uh, that's kind of a mouthful when, you know, people saw what, you know, what kind of potential and explosive playmaking ability that Robert Foster showed, um, you know, in that A-Day broadcast. But Cameron was considered the best receiver on the team. You know, his loss was a big blow, um, you know, to a, to a receiver core, I think, coming out of spring practice you know, that the coaching staff had some questions about, you know, the depth um, and the talent level. I think they really felt like once you got beyond um, Foster, Stewart, and, uh, um, you know, Black, you know, some of those front-run guys, they really felt like that the the talent level kind of, you know, cliff-dived a little bit. Um, So certainly the addition of of Ridley and Charlotte coming in at the end of May and now with Moraney, um, you know, he's a guy that I think, you know, does does a lot of things well that, that Billy Napier and, um, you know, Lane Kiffin, one of their wide receivers, he runs crisp routes. Um, you know, he's not a guy that's going to get out there and, you know, Amari Cooper you to death with 4-3 speed. Um, but, you know, he runs great routes. He's fast enough. Um, you know, he catches things. I think he's got a big radius, um, you know, catch radius around him. If you put the ball, you know, close to him, he's going to go up and get it. So, you know, it does a couple of things for, you know, Lane Kiffin and this team. You bring in a guy that's, you know, been explosive and very productive at his previous stop. Um, you know, you don't get on the Bolitnikoff watch list without a lot of catches and a lot of good catches. So, you know, bringing him in gives a, you know, kind of a stabilizing um, influence to the position. It takes a little bit of pressure, you know, off of a Calvin Ridley. Um, even though I don't consider Calvin Ridley you know, your typical incoming 18-year-old freshman because he's 22 years old. He's not, you know, your typical, 
you know, he's he's mature, um, you know, at least physically beyond what most 18-year-old incoming freshmen usually are. So I think it's a big pickup. Um, you know, certainly adds a little bit of stability to, um, you know, that position. Um, you know, and it, it makes that position a little bit stronger than what it was a few weeks ago. Um, you know, when you've still got questions at the quarterback position and, you know, with what transpired yesterday, um, you know, at the running back position, I think that's now probably the, the biggest question mark on the offensive side of the football is they, you know, are now six weeks before fall camp opens. Yeah, and William, just to finish up on the laney, I do think he will have a smoother transition plane in a West Coast pro-style offensive uh, under Mike Riley, the former Alabama football player, now at Nebraska. And I think once he gets in, 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 in he can indoctrinate himself with the rest of the football team. He's an experienced guy that I think can help provide leadership to the unit and help bring along Calvin Ridley and Daylon Charlotte, hopefully by helping teach them the position. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, some of these guys, you know, certainly guys like Robert Foster and, and Ardarius Stewart and Chris Black have, have benefited a lot from, you know, being around a guy that, you know, people look at Amari Cooper and, and, you know, they think that he's a, you know, a guy that just, you know, came into this world, um, you know, being the finished product that he is, but people didn't see the, you know, the Julio Jones type work ethic that he had, um, you know, all the countless hours that he spent working on his routes, you know, working on his hands, um, you know, developing chemistry, um, you know, at times with three different quarterbacks. I mean, he caught passes from, you know, A.J. McCarron, Jay Coker, Blake Sims. So, you know, that was certainly a factor. And I think that's something that, you know, Moraney can bring in from a different program, um, you know, certainly a, a more pass-happy program, Um you know, that Alabama has been, you know, traditionally up until this last year when Lane came in and changed that dynamic a little bit. Um, and I think that's something, too, that, that you know, Calvin Ridley and, and Charlotte can, um, you know, benefit from greatly. You know, now they've got a, you know, a veteran guy um, that can kind of help them and mentor them a little bit. Um, because, you know, Ardarius Stewart and, and Robert Foster, for all intents and purposes, are really just two-year guys into the program uh, who haven't really played a whole heck of a lot. None of these wide receivers that, that Alabama is, is, you know, expecting to go to battle with this fall, um, you know, have a lot of game experience. Even Chris Black being a, a veteran in the program uh, because of the depth in front of him all these, you know, years with DeAndre White and Amari and, um, Christian Jones, I mean, he's not really a, a game-tested guy. So, you know, bringing somebody in like Mulraney from, uh, from Oregon State is, is really, I think, going to, you know, bring a, bring a lot of value to the to the position, you know, both on and off the field with what he can do for them from a leadership standpoint, um, you know, a film room guy. Um, so, you know, you've got a young core group of wide receivers that I think even the starters, the front-line guys, can really benefit from having somebody like this to, uh, you know, watch and learn from on a daily basis in practice. William, well, while we're talking about additions to the roster, um, the one we were all waiting on never happened, and who knows if it will or if it won't, so I'm not going to ask about it. But I will ask about two names that are out there, uh, and that's these are guys that have one to play one. Uh, a running back by the name of Andrew Bowie and an offensive lineman by the name of Kennedy Estill. Do you foresee either or both of those guys on this roster by August? 
I, I think the buoy, uh, the running back buoy, has got a lot better chance um, of being on the roster than Estelle does. Um, you know, he, he did not do very well, um, you know, this past weekend at the camp. Um, there's some off-the-field stuff that, that are, you know, kind of mitigating factors right now with him. There's, you know, some questions about his academic standing. And, uh, yeah, I think at the end of the day, he probably projects better, um, at least in the SEC, as an offensive guard. And Alabama's kind of got more of those than they know what to do with right now anyway, both on campus and, you know, coming in this recruiting class. So I just don't see that being worth, um, you know, a scholarship spot right now for Alabama, but certainly the running back buoy with, with the uh, announcement yesterday that the serious flowers um, is, is lost for at least this year. Um, I certainly think that's that's a guy that's in play. Um, you know, another one that's probably not up for a, you know, a scholarship consideration right now, but a young man that, that first caught my eye all the way back in the fall of 2011 when he was a ninth-grade running back um, for the Blunt Leopards. But, you know, a guy that's going through the, the academic vetting process right now, um, Demetrius uh, Vaughn, um, is, you know, in the process of getting approved um, for admission into the second term of summer school. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that Alabama's looking to bring in as a walk-on uh, running back to kind of shore up the depth situation there. Um, for, for the older Alabama fans out there, he's, uh, you know, somewhat of a legacy player. His uncle, Bo Wright, played at Alabama under Ray Perkins. Um, you know, and this was a guy that I think a lot of people, including myself, you know, kind of had uh, projected to do some big things after he came on the scene and had a couple of 200-yard rushing performances, um, you know, for the Blunt Records back in 2011. But, you know, things just didn't quite work out that way. But I think still, if the deal can work out or he can come on in and be a part of fall camp, um, you know, a guy that can add some solid depth to the running back situation. But, yeah, I, I would keep my eye on um, the Bowie situation. I think that's almost a must-have at this point for the coaching staff. Yeah. And, William, I, I agree uh, on Bowie. I think he'd be very important. He's got 1,255 rushing yards, uh, 10 career TDs, 477 receiving yards in his career. He had a big uh, 2012 uh, got a little injured uh, the, in 2013. Last year did not play against Alabama, but is looking to move on. Uh, he's about 5'9", 192. He, he would replace Tyron Jones, I think, uh, perfectly and be a guy that's experienced that could come in and play. Uh, but also uh, Damian Harris. Uh, there's been some uh, some good uh, word uh, from him as far as the testing early on, and he's someone else that uh, it looks like he's definitely going to have to contribute as a freshman uh, do you but do you expect both Scarborough to be a factor in 2015? You know, I think that's still a to be determined. Um, you know, deal with Bo is his rehab is progressing very nicely. Um, I haven't heard he was supposed to get the the green light um, either Monday or Tuesday from the doctors to start running this week. Um, but but you know, the last update that I got, it was still looking like you know on October 1st. Um, it's kind of the target date for him coming back into the fold. And I don't know if that means, you know, coming back to practice full speed or when they would even consider him, you know, for game action. That's just – I haven't ever asked for a clarification on that. Um, but certainly, you know, Damian Harris is walking into a 
um, you know, a good situation. Um, but I but I think it's kind of the typical situation. Um, if you go back and look at, you know, way the, the, the torch has been passed since Nick's been here. Um, you know, the Glenn Coffey to Mark Ingram. You know, Mark came in and, and had a nice true freshman year. And then, you know, Mark to Trent. Um, you know, I think the only reason it didn't continue with Eddie Lacy is, is Eddie was, you know, battled injuries um, basically throughout his whole career until his last year at Alabama. Certainly T.J. Yellen came in and, um, you know, proved that he was SEC ready as a true freshman in 2012. So, you know, Damian Harris, um, I think he's probably, you know, gotten himself into a position mentally and physically to, to be ready for this situation because it isn't a – um, an abnormal thing to happen at Alabama. I think that is one position that, that Nick has shown the willingness to put a guy on the field uh, very early if they're physically and mentally ready, and that's at the running back spot. And, and you know, another thing, too, that um, I failed to mention when we first came on and we were touching on the offensive line situation, but it goes back to why I don't necessarily think they'll take a roster spot and burn it with, uh, you know, the Estelle transfer from Texas. Um, but about an hour ago, um, a guy that Alabama was heavily involved with earlier in the process back in the spring um, decommitted from Georgia, and I'm talking about the 2016 offensive tackle, E.J. Price, from the state of Georgia. Um, you know, he's somebody that Alabama will probably get back involved with. Um, I think when he committed to Georgia, um, you know, the, the bridesmaids in that situation were Michigan, Auburn, and Alabama. So that's something certainly for Alabama fans to keep in mind, um, you know, as they go forward. Because, the you know, the last two spots, if, if in fact they do decide to take two more offensive linemen, they will both be offensive tackles. And Price could certainly factor in as one of those guys. William, I wanted to ask you uh, to reminisce on something that happened about a year ago. Uh, you were one of the first people, well, no, you were the first person to ever mention to us here on BAMS Radio about a particular walk-on. And uh, I was having lunch with somebody the other day that works with another walk-on, and he mentioned this individual as standing out in skeleton drills this year. Uh, and the gentleman's name is Armani Purifoy. From Kingsland, Georgia, number 89. You were the first to ever tell us about him. He wasn't even on the roster we got, and we went to the Auburn scrimmage last year. But you told us he had looked good in the scrimmage before the one me and Drew. So now I'm hearing that Purifoy, as a walk-on, is, is doing very well in the skeleton drills. And I wanted to ask you, what, what did you remember about him from that scrimmage? Because you're the first and really only person that ever told us about him. If I remember correctly, isn't he the kid that I thought was a tight end, but he turned out to be a tall wide receiver? I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I think I was. 195, but, you know, pads make people look bigger, you know. That. Yeah, well, you know, when you're sitting up there, uh, you know, in the stands watching a scrimmage, sometimes things get skewed. But yeah, he did. Um, you know, he, he did catch my eye. And, and that's, uh, it, it did surprise me to learn that he wasn't any taller than that because he certainly looked like he was. Um, I personally haven't heard, you know, anything about him this summer, but 95% of the time I don't, when I do get updates on um, the 707 stuff in the summer, it's, it's typically not about walk-ons, but he, he did. I mean, he caught my eye. Um, I thought he kind of, um, you know, along with, with uh, Parker Barino, who's no longer a walk-on, um, you know, those are two guys that I saw consistently, you know, make something happen. And, and you know, 
people don't realize unless you obviously have the opportunity to go to scrimmages or practices for a walk-on to, to have an opportunity to even get in the scrimmage um, is, is kind of a rare thing. And for them to be able to catch your eye, um, you know, working with the third-team offense or the third-team defense, you know, the, those two groups, when they go at each other there, you know, at the end of a scrimmage, it kind of looks like a, a goat roping, so to speak, um, at times because there's just – you know, there's not a lot of talent that, that's going to ever factor in at a program like Alabama on those two third teams. But, yeah, absolutely, I think he's somebody that has a chance to, uh, you know, factor in with the program down the road. I would, wouldn't even be surprised to see him maybe show up on some of the coverage teams, um, you know, this fall as a, uh, you know, a gunner or, or a guy on, on one of the uh, um, return teams. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the best for the guy. I think he's got a chance to do nice things. And, and again, uh, I think you know Nick Saban showed with uh, you know with Farino and the, the nice Wander kid. If, if you're a walk on and you're willing to put in the time and the effort, be consistent about it. Um, you know, there's a chance that there's a scholarship for you there at the end of the rainbow. And I think that's one of the in today's game. You know, it's a lot different than you know, 25 years ago when I was playing and, and Davo Sweeney and, you know, guys like Jeff Foshi earned a scholarship, um, the, the game was, was a little bit different. I don't think it was as competitive and as cutthroat as it is now. So for those two guys to to earn scholarships in a, you know, uh, an era of college football where the, the number 85 means so much to so many different programs, I think that says a lot not only about the, the, the young men that are earning the offers, but also about the head coaches that are actually allowing um, those type of guys to get that type of recognition, and, and deservedly so. Interesting you mentioned Barano William, because I think Barano is one of the guys that's affected most by the uh, transfer of Mulaney. Barano was on the cusp of getting some playing time when Cam Sims got hurt. And uh, now it looks like Barano will continue to be the only wide receiver joined by those quarterbacks helping flashing in plays on the sidelines. So I think Mulaney will get a lot of the reps that, that Parker would have gotten, to be honest with you. Well, I think it's going to be interesting, Kerry, because, you know, when you, when you had this, this transition of those top three guys going out, um, I'm talking about Cooper Jones and, uh, and DeAndre White, um, you know, you've got a group of guys. You know, there's a core group. Um, that are kind of all gathered, you know, together, in my opinion. And I'm talking about Derek Keith, Parker Barino, Raheem Falcons. Um, you know, which one of those guys, you know, obviously with, with Mulraney coming into the picture, it's going to affect them all. But still, you know, there's going to be a guy that gets a high ankle sprain or somebody that gets bruised ribs. There's going to be a point in time during the season where that guy's going to have to come up and play. Um, with that first group, you know, they, they got to have five wide receivers for a five wide receiver set, which you saw last year. Lane Kiffin's a big fan of. And in certain situations, um, especially in, in red zone and, and goal line type situations, based on what I've seen, um, my bet going into fall practice would be that that guy that, that's next in line to take that um, that next step up would would be Derek Keith. Um, he's a very tall kid, like Mulraney. He's got a big catch radius. Um, he's almost unstoppable at times, you know, in the 
in the end zone. If you throw fade patterns to him, he's certainly a guy that you could target with back shoulder throws. Um, it's got such a, a big wingspan that it's almost impossible for cornerbacks to cover that. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the, you know, even though that, that, that depth situation with Mulraney and Ridley and Sherlock, you know, coming on this summer, I still think that's going to be an interesting position group to follow to see, um, you know, once you get beyond those first, you know, top four and five guys, who's that next guy that's going to come up in certain situations or the, you know, the proverbial first guy off the bench. And, William, obviously there was another roster move yesterday with Jonathan Cook, the redshirt sophomore from Spanish Forts, the safety, uh, moving on, likely, I would think, to a junior college uh, due to lack of playing time. And with Ronnie Harrison coming in and uh, Hootie Jones continuing to develop as a player, he had fallen behind some talented players. Uh, but, obviously, it wasn't a huge shock. But uh, just kind of talk about uh, the Mel Tucker in the secondary because this is going to be a crucial aspect of the football team. But, again, I like Cook as a player, but I took that as a, as a positive sign that uh, they may have some guys back there, you know, and Maurice Smith also um, making a uh, uh, some progress. Yeah, that there again, I think that's uh, – there, there's so many, you know, storylines that are still – um, you know, kind of taking shape for this 2015 team. And, you know, certainly with Mel Tucker, you know, being a new face back there as the coach, you know, coaching the safeties and helping helping Coach Saban with the cornerbacks. Um, you know, I think that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, on paper, um, you know, you would think that Alabama is really in a good situation. Albeit, there's not a lot of experience. You know, you've got uh, Cyrus Jones, Tony Brown, uh, Bradley Silf, you know, coming back at the corner spots. Uh, but, you know, one of the, the quiet stars of spring practice was Marlon Humphrey, um, who's now up to 200 pounds and, and from what I'm told, uh, likes to bring the wood um, from the cornerback spot uh, in run support. You know, they just added uh, another five-star to go along with Humphrey and Tony Brown and Kendall Sheffield back there, another uh, you know, elite track guy. I think he ran the fastest 100 meter hurdle time this summer prior to reporting, or excuse me, in the spring. We haven't even gotten the summer yet, calendar wise. And, you know, of course, there's Minka Fitzpatrick, um, who I don't think it's been determined just yet if he's going to be a corner. Is he going to be a nickel? You know, is he going to be more of a full time corner? Is he going to be more of a, um, you know, kind of how Maurice Smith started off at corner and then migrated to that nickel spot? Um, so where his permanent home yet, I think, is still to be determined. But, you know, you've got guys over there at safety. Um, you know, even though I think Geno Smith has still got some disciplinary stuff um, that may prevent him from starting the first game or two. You know, you got Geno Smith coming back. I think the move to safety by Eddie Jackson in the spring was probably long overdue. Uh, um, I do believe he's suspended, but here's a little bit accurate. Uh, no, I agree on Eddie Jackson. Uh, Eddie Jackson, that I think that was the, the – I thought it flipped the switch defensively and may help the defense go to the next level. I think it's Eddie's natural position. I think it could help all the pieces mesh in the secondary, no doubt about it. Uh, I will say, I think uh, just to switch gears, another key is an inside linebacker. And there was a report this week that Sean Dion Hamilton – 
was ahead of Ruben Foster, but I thought Ruben had a great spring and uh, a great A day, and it really closed that gap and had an excellent chance, in my opinion, to start at the wheel with obviously uh, the signal caller being Reggie Ragland at the mic. But I wanted to know what you've heard about Ruben. I know you've had excellent sources close to him, and what do you think? Uh, Sean Dion is obviously a very cerebral guy and a good football player, but what do you see uh, heading into fall camp at that position? I, I haven't heard anything at all about Sean Dion Hamilton. Um, you know, I don't even know how somebody could speculate on a depth chart um, move taking place in the summer. I mean, you know, Sean Dion Hamilton started spring practice ahead Agreed. of Reuben Foster, and, and, you know, Reuben Foster beat him out. And nothing has happened, um, you know, on the field in, in helmets and shoulder pads for that to change. I mean, maybe somebody went out there and, you know, got to watch 15 minutes of seven-on-seven work and, you know, Sean was in there and Ruben wasn't. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons for that. But I fully expect – now, again, you've got, you know, 30 days of practice coming up and and maybe they could flip-flop again. But I don't think I've ever heard Nick Saban after a spring practice um, talk as positively about a player as he did Ruben Foster. And the people that – you know, watch that ESPN broadcast. Greg McElroy and, and Dari Nokia went on and on about, uh, you know, the coach and Kirby and Nick being so pleased with Ruben's progress in the spring. Um, and, again, I think that's a situation where regardless of who starts, um, I think both Ruben and, and Sean are both going to play a lot. Um, you know, they've got to get Sean some reps. Um, in crucial situations, whether he's the starter or not, because I do think he's already been tabbed as the guy that's, um, you know, going to probably take over the play calling responsibilities when, you know, when Reggie gets gone after this year. Uh, but I think it's way too early um, to, to that. That's, that would be like somebody going out there and, you know, we all hear this, whether it's spring practice or fall practice, you know, everybody wants to go to one, one or two scrimmages and say, you know, Coker's the starting quarterback. Well, that hasn't been determined yet either, and it's not going to be determined by seven-on-seven practices. Wayne, well, I wanted to ask you, uh, getting back to the – you mentioned the trust of the excellent left tackle prospect out of uh, Madison Academy. We were joking a couple of weeks ago that if he wanted to, Mario Cristobal could fill his tackle allotment in, in 2017 and never leave the city of Madison. And I'm talking now about uh, Kendall Randolph, younger brother of former basketball player Levi Randolph. But Kendall Randolph is, is a pretty good young offensive tackle in his own right by what I want what we cheer Yeah, I've been a little bit surprised that the Kendall Randolph hasn't gotten any more, you know, quote unquote love from the recruiting services up to this point. Um, yeah, you know, I first saw him, I guess, back uh, November or December last year, and me being the non-basketball fan that I am, I think I probably didn't find out that he was Levi's brother until after the first of the year, but. Um, you know, in fact, I think if Drew will remember this, I actually called him after I first saw his film and, you know, asked him if he could call somebody at Bob Jones or go by the school and verify his, his size for me because I felt like at the time, I think they had him listed at 6'5", 270. And, you know, I told Drew, I said, you know, if this kid's really 6'5", 270 to go along with this film, then, then Austin Troxel's got some competition for the best, you know, 
rising offensive tackle in the state. And I, I really like Randolph. Um, I think he's got a bright future. Um, you know, I think if he makes the, the rounds this summer and and certainly next winter at the camp and combine circuit, uh, that's that's only going to benefit him. But, you know, it's not often in, in this state, and I'm talking about the state of Alabama, where you have two really good offensive tackle prospects like that. I think that, you know, both of them are certainly – um, you know, I, I think Troxel, um, certainly because of the six foot seven length, um, you know, has a chance by the time he's a, a rising senior this time next summer, I fully expect him to be a five star, you know, top thirty to forty player in the country type guy. Um, you know, much in the same way that, that you know, now that the guys are having, you know, an opportunity to go back and revisit Jonah Williams film, you're starting to see Rivals has already made him a five star. Um, and I do think he'll be a consensus. You know, this is a kid that's not going to go to a camp. Uh, you're not going to get him on the phone and get to do an interview with him. Um, maybe you see him pop off on Twitter between now and January, but he's just going to show up in Tuscaloosa in January and start practice. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of refreshing to see a kid take that approach. Um, he knows he's good. Uh, he just got through setting shot put records in the state of California, and he's not going to let a, uh, a subscription-based media company tell him or anybody else how good or bad he is. He's not going to talk to you. He's not going to come to your camp. Um, he's not going to be bribed by your Under Armour or your, your Adidas gear. He's just going to show up and play some SEC football, and I like that. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, William. I, I really love Jonah Williams and his approach as well. Everyone that's seen his film has been really high on him as a player. But uh, we also, what about a, the junior college offensive tackle, Charles Baldwin? I know you've talked about him some and said that he's uh, further ahead as a pass blocker but needed to kind of come to his own uh, as, a, as a run blocker. Hearing that he's added a lot of weight and started to reshape his body, uh, I know Mario Cristobal has to be excited about his commitment, and he could be uh, Dominic Jackson's uh, uh, successor next year at right tackle, of course, along with Lester Cotton. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that you're seeing right now is is, is what Mario's attempting to do and, and being successful at it is, you know, when he came to Alabama, um, you know, things were in such dire straits at both tackle spots. You know, there wasn't any quality depth at either tackle spot, you know. Um, you know, in, in 2013, I mean, it was kind of Ari Quanjo at left and Austin Shepard at right, and, you know, it was a bust. Uh, you know, on either side after that, um, much in the same way last year. I mean, it's it's. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't say take anything away from how good Cameron Robinson was and how good he's going to be. You know, in my opinion, a top five draft pick in two more years. But at a program like Alabama, it's it's really not business as usual when when you're depending on uh, you know a true freshman to come in and start at left tackle for you. Um, now you're starting to see where, where there's some some spacing and, and you know, talent backlog. We don't even, we won't even go into the center and guard spots because Alabama's four deep at left guard, center, and right guard. Once you know Cotton and Pettibone, um, you know, get on campus to go with what they already have. But you know, you've got um, you know Cameron Robinson on campus for two more years. Um, you know, you've got Jonah Williams, um, you know, penciled in there. Uh, you know, if 
they, they can't convince Greg Little to come play football at Alabama. And if that were to happen, I think you'd see Little penciled in behind Cameron Robinson and, and Jonah Williams moved over to right to take over for Charles Baldwin. Um, there's a good chance that Baldwin is a one-and-done type talent at right tackle in 2016 after Dominic Jackson graduates. Um, and, again, if you start looking long-term, um, you know, you've got the, the leather, Alex Leatherwood kid, you know, from Pensacola um, who can probably play either tackle spot. Um, you know, and, and, you know, let's just factor him in at left. You know, if that's the case, then Mario Cristobal's got the depth situation at left tackle taken care of. Um, you know, all the way until 2021. So, you know, you're in, you know, you start t- talking about Troxel, um, you know, bringing him into the fold. Um, the Randolph kid, you know, if you add those two guys next year, um, we really don't even need to talk about the offensive line from a recruiting standpoint anymore. I, you know, people think this is crazy, but I, you know, I was putting together a 2017 depth chart the other day um, for the offensive line and I'm starting to scratch my head and try and figure out we're an elite offensive guard prospect like Richie Pettibone. I don't know if he's going to get on the field before he's a junior. Um, not a really a good thing for Richie Pettibone, but it's a great thing if you're Nick Saban or Mario Cristobal. We I wanted to ask you about a, a position that we just seem to have a really hard time filling, and that that's an inline tight end that can seal the edge like a Michael Williams used to. I'm very impressed with the tape of, of Miller Forstall when it comes to being a receiver. And I realized he was a quarterback for a long time before he became a receiver. Uh, and, and he certainly got the height and, and the body to hold some more weight. But is this the kind of guy that can eventually develop uh, under the excellent tutelage, Drew Bjarman, of Bobby Williams into a blocking tight end? Oh, God, y'all are trying to get me some bear traps to wander off into tonight. I'm not going to fall for them. Um, I don't know, Kerry. I mean, he's, you know, 215, 220 right now. Um, you know, he's he's basically lighter uh, than O.J. Howard was. Um, you know, I I told somebody the other day, um, they they said he got an, inviting, an invite to go. I don't know if it was the opening or, or some combine. And I said, well, I wish he was getting an invite to the Mark Bavaro tight end run boxing institute versus going to one of these, you know, worthless combines. But, and certainly a great athlete, kind of in a way reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, what the former Arkansas quarterback Matt Jones turned into in the NFL. Well, I don't know if it's the blonde hair or the height or whatever, but when I saw his tape and saw a picture of him, that's the first thing that I thought of. But I, I've gotten, you know, carried where I just don't even worry about the inline tight end situation anymore. It's just, I mean, people don't believe this when I tell them this. It's been six recruiting classes since Alabama has signed a legit inline tight end, and that's going all the way back to 2008 when they signed Mike Williams. Um, it's just become such an annual, you know, burr in my saddle. I just don't even let myself get upset about it anymore. You know, and this is the landscape that the coaches are dealing with. You know, there's just not a lot of inline tight ends being developed on the high school level anymore. Um, you know, you're you're going to get more of the O.J. Howards and the Hunter Henrys, um, you know, because of the spread offenses that, that are, you know, being run, you know, out throughout high school football these days. Um, you know, I've, I've had conversations with college offensive line coaches 
um, and, and ask them, you know, how are y'all evaluating some of these offensive linemen when 95% of the time they're operating out of a two-point stance? Um, you know, you, you, you almost have to go to a, you know, fast forward the film to third and short or goal line situations just to see how a, you know, a guy can generate power out of, you know, at the point of attack from an offensive line standpoint. So, you know, I think, you know, they've got a chance to do something, you know, with, with Hale Hinches. Um, he's a blue-collar guy. He's somebody that's played multiple sports throughout his high school career. And, and you know, in my experience, what happens with these guys is when they don't have that year-round constant athletic activity anymore and, and they get stuck in a weight room and somebody's forcing them to dump a bunch of calories down their throat, you know, their, their receptors in their body are wide open and they tend to put on a lot of good weight and put it on quickly. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm hoping that's what happens with Hinches because I do think he's a lunch pail type of a guy. Uh, he's a hard worker. Um, he's kind of got a, a nasty mindset. You know, I think he's been a, um, you know, kind of a, a whatever sport he's been playing in. You know, we talked to him back in the winter, um, you know, when he was playing basketball, and, and that was kind of the impression that I got out of him back then. So I think there is a chance there. You know, he's a six four and a half, six five guy that probably will enter fall practice between two thirty five and two forty. Um, so, you know, I think there is a legitimate chance that, that he gets up into the 260, 265-pound range in the next two years. But uh, the guys that are on campus now and the ones that are coming, you know, in this recruiting class, to me, he's the best chance that you've probably got, you know, in the next two years, let's say, of having a multifaceted tight end that can that can run and block effectively and be just as good at both. Well, and last question, William. Uh, is the last prospect really that's close to that kind of player for Alabama in, in the 2016 cycle? Is that Daryl Middleton of uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee? Yeah, and, you know, I think he's a guy that, you know, a lot of you know Alabama fans are scratching their heads and, you know, wondering, um, you know, why hasn't this guy jumped on board yet? You know, there's some, um, you know, some off-the-field stuff. Uh, that, that I think needs to be clarified and cleaned up before, um, you know, those two parties have a meeting of the minds and decide that, you know, and again, this is nothing to do with, with him as a football player. This is off the field stuff. Um, and with the, the new, um, you know, rules and, and the potential for, you know, bad publicity, um, you know, in the wake of the Jonathan Taylor thing, um, you know, I think this is something that the the vetting process is going to just get even more uh, put under a microscope. You know, I think we're a week away from, you know, a kid that, that if he had the green light right now, and again, it has nothing to do with his ability. He's a five-star wide receiver. Um, but, but, you know, if, if Darnell Solomon's court case was behind him um, in Athens, Georgia next week, I, and, and the charges had been either, you know, reduced or dismissed, I think he'd already be a part of this recruiting class. So, um, and I'm not trying to insinuate that, that you know, Middleton has, uh, you know, legal troubles, but, but it is stuff that, that has taken place off the football field that has to be cleaned up before he can be a part of this recruiting class. Uh, great stuff, William. And uh, I do think Middleton will hopefully get that resolved. I think he would definitely be a difference maker in this class. He's a, a, a beast and a five-star talent that you're very high on. But we appreciate you for giving us about an hour tonight. 
uh, and uh, you always bring great knowledge to BAMS radio. And I know uh, you're you're going to continue in your role with Alabama Intel. We wish you uh, great luck with with them. And we always enjoy you coming on. And uh, it's always very important. The listeners in our, in our chat room really enjoy it. And of course, all the people that listen to our podcast, we really appreciate you for being on with us. And thank you for uh, joining BAMS Radio tonight, man. Hey guys, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, All right, thank thanks, you. William. That's William Redfish Barger. We enjoy having him always. And uh, before we go to break, I, I know that none of y'all agree with this, but a guy who is projected as a, a Jack linebacker, Anthony Jennings, could be the answer if you want a tight end that can block and catch those. He's proven it, but for now he's a Jack. He's hurt, so I'm going to go play this year. But down the road, I'm telling you, if they give him a chance, Anthony Jennings could be that guy. But with that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and take our one and only break of the evening. And uh, we'll be back in about three or four minutes with some more guests. Uh, we'll be joined by our regular caller, Big C, at about 8.15 at 8.30. We're going to talk to Roger Myers about how the uh, Major League Draft affected the Alabama baseball program in Mitch Gaspar. But for now, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Dan Radio, a member of the
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. Thanks very much to our guest, the first hour, William Redfish Barber of AlabamaIntel.com. And uh, Drew, you, you mentioned that uh, William will be continuing in his role there. Uh, what is his role going to be going forward? Obviously, Drew has not made it back yet. role will be, no, I'm here, I'm here. It's just a lag, guys. You got me? Yep. Okay. Well, William's role, he's going to continue to be their insider. He will continue to post content on the forums, uh, especially his inside information, which we heard some of it tonight, which is peerless as far as the Daryl Milton information, EJ Price, uh, the first-hand info from the OLDL camp. He will continue to post um, uh, info on their forums. And also, as you, as you said, he will be chatting with the members on the forums. Uh, and then continue. he will be uh, the face of Alabama Intel from this point forward. Okay. Well, and, you know, one thing I did not get around to asking William, uh, and one reason I didn't ask it was because, our mutual friend Rodney Orr of Tyler Insider seems to feel that uh, Texas A&M is still clearly the leader for Greg Little, and I was beginning to think he might be the left tackle in the class. So is, it, is it pretty much a, a long shot for him in Alabama now? Well, I think Alabama's going to continue to recruit Greg Little, but it was all influenced to be a chore. There is some speculation that he has a relationship with, with Jalen Hurts, the Alabama QB commitment from Channel View, Texas. But I think, really, to be honest, uh, it's going to be uh, tough to get him away from there. As everybody knows, his teammate, Kyler Murray, uh, went to Texas A&M, turned down the baseball draft. So, and he's going to be uh, a, a big-time factor there offensively for Coach Kevin Sumlin. But it's going to be really interesting. Because I really think right now that Greg Little, uh, Alabama is going to continue, and Ole Miss will be involved with him until sign day. But I, if you had to ask me right now, I would say that it'll be uh, Juwan Williams will be the OT that they uh, get next from Washington, D.C. area. He's also a very elite prospect. But Greg Little would always have a spot. But I just do not see him as of right now being in the class. I don't think a and is going to let him get away. All right. Well, let's change the topic just for a couple of minutes, Drew, uh, to basketball recruiting. Uh, Coach Avery Johnson has reiterated, even as recently as, this week at his camp, he had a brief media uh, get-together uh, between sessions of camp, and he reiterated to those guys that there's going to be more than one roster addition to the team the first week of July when summer school session two starts. Now, we know one of them is his son, Avery Johnson, Jr., but but based on all accounts and all digging, what, what little I can find, it, it, it appears to me that that other person, even though nothing's official, it appears to me that the likelihood is about 90% that that second body is going to be one Kobe Eubanks of the state of Florida. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would agree wholeheartedly. I felt like that Alabama was in very good position since uh, Kobe Eubanks came on his visit. And uh, I think it was telling to the coach Avery Johnson said it would be the second term of summer school, which is in July. And I think that's when you'll see him join the squad and, they need him because they need a score. They don't have a true two guard on this basketball team, uh, thanks to Anthony Grant's pathetic recruiting. But uh, obviously, uh, he he uh, he would provide instant offense and would be an excellent shooter for Alabama. And he's and he he and his family have talked about finding the right situation. 
and I, I can't, you know, fathom a, 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 a situation being more perfect for Kobe Eubanks to come in and make a big impact and playing for Avery Johnson, who's also so uh, connected and intertwined with everyone in the NBA. And you, it's hard to mention Kobe Eubanks without talking about his brother, who is a, a, a tight end prospect in the following class of 16. Uh, is, is Nick Eubanks still a possibility for Alabama, or is the tight end uh, board about over with? Oh, no, I still, I still think he's a possibility. Because as you said, Milton, or as we've heard from William Redfish Barger, Milton is a great prospect, but he does have some off-the-field issues. And with the dearth of tight ends, Gary, and we've already talked about it ad nauseum for a long time on this show, I do think if Alabama could get Milton and Eubanks, they would take both because Milton could also be a defensive end, uh, and he's a versatile guy. So I think you have to take the, uh, someone at that position, uh, and especially if it could also help your basketball program. I know Nick Saban's not usually into you know package deals, but I think Eubanks is a good enough player where that could happen. Well, that's the one thing about Mark Wick that I wish would rub off on Nick Saban, just this one case. I normally don't advocate it either. But if there's any way in heck that Nick Eubanks can help the football program, and if his offer is committable, and I hope it is, then I hope this is this is kind of how it goes down, dude. Without, yeah, without a doubt. That's the way you want it to go down. You want uh, you want them to be able to – it would help two positions. It would help the basketball program, and it would help the tight end position, no question about it. Uh, and uh, that, and I think that would be great for Avery Johnson, no question about it. And it would be great, uh, no doubt, for uh, for, for uh, Nick Saban and his program, which you get an elite athlete who could develop into an H-back or tight end to really help your football team. And, Drew, getting back to the dirt, you mentioned the dirt of tight end, but and you also mentioned a dirt of shooting guards. But probably the number one shooting guard on the 2016 board, and really it's the fall of 15 when they sign, is currently on a visit to the University of Michigan, a guy from right down the road from you. Uh, Avery got in on this ball game very late. Uh, what, if any, shot does Alabama have realistically at Josh Langford at Madison Academy? I think they have a shot uh, at Josh Langford. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I don't think it's it, – they're going to give it their best shot, as will Auburn, but I've never felt like Josh would ultimately land in the state of Alabama. I think he's going to uh, take his talents elsewhere. I think Michigan State has done a very good job recruiting him and Tom Izzo. I think no doubt about it uh, that uh, that John Beeline in Michigan, as you said, he's on a trip to Michigan. Uh, they, John Beeline came to watch him live a, a couple of times. This, they're very, very high on him as well. The Duke Blue Devils could make a move. Uh, John Calipari in Kentucky has already made a move. We'll just have to wait and see. But I do think Langford, uh, I I expect him to visit Alabama, but it's an uphill battle for someone of that uh, stature with a five-star pedigree. And David Johnson, if he had two years recruited, if he was 2017 like John Petty, I would give him a much better chance. But nobody has seen yet what Avery is going to put out on the floor. It might give him a chance if Josh decides to sign late, but I don't know what his – timetable is uh, right now. Does Josh feel like he's the one and done? That is a possibility. Uh, I do think that they he's the first person I've seen from the, the state of this, the, this area, uh, from Huntsville area, that I felt like could be a one and done player. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt, or at least two and, two and done at the most. I wouldn't expect Josh Langford if he goes to the right college program to be past two years in college, no doubt about that. 
I, I think, honestly, uh, because he's more explosive. Trevor Lacey was always a great basketball player with a great basketball IQ, but he was a below-the-rim player. He's learned that now especially. Uh, he declared uh, himself eligible for the NBA draft. I think he should have stayed in school because he's a below-the-rim guy. He has trouble finishing at times at the rim. But Josh Langford, the way the NBA game is constituted now, it's all about athleticism and uh, being able to run the court and being able to finish uh, and finish at the rim. And Josh Langford is peerless there. He still needs to continue to work on his ball handling. And obviously, uh, his defensive intensity and his jump shot, there's some areas he needs to work on, but he's peerless athletically, a very hard worker, can get to the rim and finish, and he's a tough kid, and he's someone, uh, again, that uh, is, and he's got the side. He's six foot five, six foot six. He's uh, done a great job developing his body in the weight room at about 215 pounds, and he's as good a prospect as I've seen come out of here. I hope Avery Johnson continues to recruit him hard this summer in July. It'll be very telling, and I think he'll be all over him. But it's just an uphill battle, in my opinion. But it's going to be interesting to see how big, how, how what kind of shake uh, that uh, that Avery uh, that, uh, that Avery Johnson and Bruce Pearl get in the, in the Josh Langford sweepstakes. The other sweepstakes up there, and you've already mentioned his name, uh, John Petty, who's a year behind Josh Langford. But John Petty uh, is extremely enamored right now with Calipari in Kentucky. And now, the time is there for Avery to work on John Petty, but does Avery have a real shot? Oh, of course. I mean, who would, would anybody expect John Petty to not be enamored of John Calipari and what they've done? No, but he's also been argue. very excited about it. Avery Johnson. He's got two full years to recruit John Petty. If it becomes obvious, uh, Avery Johnson has been quoted as saying, I want to put together the best basketball class in the history of the University of Alabama basketball in 2016. If he does that, and he's made some inroads with some great talent, and if Alabama turns their program around quickly, it will turn ahead of John Petty and and his mother, who would, I think, much rather go 45 minutes, or excuse me, two hours down the road, 45 minutes from Birmingham with Jamal Johnson, but you know, two two hours down the road rather than go all the way uh, to the Kentucky because uh, Avery Johnson has more uh, NBA uh, connections than John Calipari. It's all about what product you put on the floor and if you start winning. And Alabama has not been winning basketball games at enough of a high enough rate. But if Avery Johnson can turn it quickly, I don't think there's any doubt he can get right in the middle uh, with John Petty and Alex Street and Jamal Johnson and the 2017 guys. Yeah, and actually, I think that now that Grant's gone, I think Alabama actually has a chance at Austin Wiley. Uh, and he's a 6'10 kid. His dad and mom both play basketball at Auburn University. But Avery Johnson has uh, has made an impression on that family to the point that they are going to allow their son to be recruited by Alabama. Uh, obviously, uh, Aubrey Wiley uh, is friends with his old teammate, Chuck Person. I, I get that. But uh, – and, and it, you know, by the time Aubrey Wiley and Jamal Johnson uh, are, are done with their senior years at State Park, Drew, for all you and I know, Chuck Person might be the head coach. Jolly and Bruce Pearl might be at Memphis. I mean, I, I don't think that's out of the round. But that being said, uh, you know, you're, you're right about Alex Reese from Pelham, who some people reported at six nine now. I'm not sure he's quite that tall, but uh, I've also seen Wiley reported at six nine, and I'm told he's closer to six ten. And Jamal Johnson, son of Buck Johnson, former Alabama player and still a legend at Tuscaloosa, uh, the top point guard. The 2017 class is loaded, and Avery could sign the top class in Alabama history truly without leaving the state, the state lines if he signs John Petty, Jamal Johnson, 
Austin Wiley and Alex Reese. If he signs those four guys in 2017, he will, A, have the best class in Alabama history, and, B, never had to leave the state. I agree. Uh, Austin Wiley is going to be very, very tough. Um, his parents, as you said, as you rightly said, including Vicki Orr, his mother, who's one of the greatest Auburn women's basketball players, maybe the greatest ever, uh, they're going to be very tough to pull him away from Auburn. But I do think Jamal Johnson, and, and by the way, later tonight got a text message from Garrett Tucker, uh, who so I'm sure we're going to have on bands in the future. He's been on my radio show a couple of times on 977 The Zone in Huntsville talking ball. Uh, he's going to have an update that he said uh, that I'm going to like a lot from Jamal Johnson later tonight. So that's the son of Buck Johnson. He's definitely he's the first kid that got an offer from Avery, and I definitely think Alabama's got a very solid shot at him. Very solid shot at Alex Reese of Pelham, even though I know Vandy and Coach Kevin Stallings has done a good job with him as well. But a really good shot at, at a stretch forward like Alex Reese, and then obviously John Petty, the smooth small forward. Uh, Alabama will be all over him and Swan Petway trying to foster that relationship. I think they've got a very, very good shot at three of them. And then the fourth, Aubrey Wiley, uh, we will, uh, me, Austin Wiley, we will see. Uh, I don't blame them for recruiting him. He's also going to have options. Duke and North Carolina are definitely on him. Duke has already started recruiting him, which is they're very picky, so you know how much they like him. Uh, but, again, Auburn is going to be tough to beat for Wiley, who's hurt right now and recovering from an injury. But, again, I think the other three, you're right, Kerry, they've got a chance to – to uh, have a very good class in state if they can get those three young men. And then, obviously, with the inroads in Texas, with Posh Pickle, uh, the new uh, assistant, the, the, the final piece of the on-court staff, with his uh, connections there, and then with Coach Avery Johnson's connections, I think Alabama, the talent level, is only going to go up in Tuscaloosa. Not any doubt about that. And, Drew, look, the only spot that has not been filled is Director of Basketball Operations, uh, do do we know any names, or is, you know, is people even interviewed for this job, or is it just going to drag all the way to school year? I think it's just going to be something that's going to be named before school starts in August. Have not heard any more speculation or any names. Uh, and I think it'll be someone that's also going to help with scheduling. But again, much uh, like with Coach Postickle, who his name had never really been mentioned with the opening for the first. Uh, uh, spot on the on the uh, on the on core on the on floor staff to complete it along with Antoine Petway, obviously, and uh, Bob Simon. Uh, he you, you didn't really hear his name mentioned much, and uh, it's probably going to be much the same with the basketball ops guy as well. Uh, there's really not a lot of info coming out right now. I have not heard any names uh, since you know I kind of speculated on Jack Dawes being an administrative coach, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, he would obviously I think would have wanted an on floor role, and he's got a great team with. Coach John Petty at Johnson. So we will see, but no real info right now on that situation. <laughs> Maybe the time to hire Jack would be uh, right before John signed. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and yeah. take um, our our next caller on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Uh, don't don't forget, you can always go to BigHeadsBBQ.net and check out uh, the outstanding catering menu. Uh, Big Heads Barbecue, owned by our good friend Chuck P. Who caters the Bam's eight radio tent, and um, I guess I guess Drew is fussing with the dog in the background without me. Well, let's go ahead and bring uh, on our next caller, uh, the pride of Greenville, Alabama, your friend and mine, Colin Big C. McGuire. What is going on, my friend? Not enough. We're just trying to keep the boys up and I got a question I want to ask you. 
What was the deal with the shittiest uh, flowers eligibility thing? I think that's one of the wildest things I've ever heard. It's actually happened before. Uh, if you recall the name Alfie Hill about three or four years ago, uh, yeah. sometimes they go back and they look at how much somebody's ACT jumped from one test taken to the next test taken. And even though he went through uh, class all spring and, from what I know, passed all his classes, apparently he had too big of a jump on his ACT. And Drew's back now. We're talking about the Sherry's Files. That was Nick C's question. Uh, apparently his ACT score jumped too much from one session to the other, and it was uh, it was basically revoked by the clearinghouse, and he was declared ineligible. And now he's going to have to end up at junior college. And I'll be quite frank, and I think Drew will back me up. I, I really don't think Alabama's going to re-recruit him. Are you done? Why's that? Y'all still there? Oh, I, I, I hate to say it, but I just don't really think he's that great of a player. Uh, I mean, he was the guy that they took because he was willing to commit on the spot. Uh, but, Drew, we're talking about the Sherry Flowers, and I was telling Big C, kind of trying to explain why his eligibility was, was revoked for his ACT score jumping. And what I'm saying, Drew, to Big C is, in my opinion, I don't think Bama's going to re-recruit him. Hey, Drew. Drew might have managed to kill his equipment. <laughs> Yeah, hey guys, what's going on? Are you there, Drew? Yeah, well, it's, it's what happens when you hear dog sitting, uh, and then they and they decide they're going to go crazy. So uh, they did a really great job for a little bit over an hour, and then they have to act stupid. But it happens sometimes. Sorry about the non-mute there. I thought I had my mic muted, but they were uh, going a little nuts there. Sorry about that, everyone. But we are going to keep going. And, and what's going on, Big City? How you doing, bro? All right, good, Drew. What's happening, man? I was asking him about the serious flowers and him getting ruled ineligible, and then he mentioned something about his ACT score jumped up a little too high. Because that's what they're speculating. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, uh, it's probably a little bit more than that, but... I, you know, because that—that's kind of stupid. You're 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 just now saying his ACT jumped a little high, and you let him go through a whole semester. I mean, yes, that's a, and you better have proof that he didn't take it. Is all I'm going to say, because uh, if, uh, well, that's what I'm saying. That's what it it sounds like because uh, obviously Darren Lakes uh, jumped way high, and you heard speculation Calvin Ridley's may have. But, but you know, both those guys were eligible, so I, I don't really know. Uh, I, that, that seems a little bit shaky to me. I think it could have been something, uh, maybe a corner cut back at at Viger High School, or you know, that's just speculating. But again, it, I just think it was probably something done at the school, and that they figured out what had happened. Now, unfortunately for the young man, hopefully he'll get a chance to. They should let him. They allowed him to go to school for a semester. You know, keep the credits that he got. That he. I'm sure he, he passed some of the classes while he was there, so hopefully he'll get a chance to use those, but it looks like he's going to have to go to a JUCO. Mm. What I'll tell Big C is I, I really don't think they'll re-recruit him, Drew. I don't know. It's just going to depend if he goes to the junior college and does really well. You know, they didn't really re-recruit Alfie Hill, so, you know, and he ended up, I think, at three or four different schools. Um, and – but I, I think, you know, more than likely you're probably right, Kerry, but we'll just have to wait and see on uh, the serious. 
Well, what about the what's about the young man that's from Oregon State that transferred the wide receiver? Uh, Richard Mullaney, uh, he he had uh, 52 catches or 53 catches for 755 and and five TDs uh, in 2013 Big C. He was one of the better receivers in the Pac-12. Uh, then they had a coaching change after 2014. You know, Mike Ryan was in Nebraska. They brought in Gary Anderson, who had been at Utah State, but is now had spent the last two to three seasons at Wisconsin. And uh, he went through spring ball, and I think he, he wasn't really satisfied with the, the direction of the offense. And he was going to graduate, and he decided to – he wanted to move on and look around. And after Alabama had got – you know, lost Cameron Sims, who was having a great spring, uh, after they lost him, uh, no doubt about it, to that injury, and it was a severe injury, uh, it's going to be uh, like a Dante Hightower type in the year-and-a-half rehab. I think that even though they had Calvin Ridley and Daylon Charlotte coming in very talented – you have Chris Black uh, that they really like, uh, R. Darius Stewart, obviously, and Robert Foster. And after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off. And I think they wanted to bring in a veteran uh, to add to the rotation, someone that could even mentor the young guys. And I think uh, Mulaney's got very good body control, uh, very good very good route runner, very good hands. He reminds me of a Caucasian Kevin Norwood. That's putting a lot on him. But he put up similar numbers to Kevin, who had a great senior year. And I think he can have a big impact. I, mean, I actually believe he's going to be more impactful than people think. I think he's a great possession receiver. Uh, I think he's a guy that will get open, catch the ball, great hands. Uh, he'll probably have to bone up a little bit on his blocking, but that's that's not going to be a problem. And, and, Drew, since we got Big C on the line and he wasn't with us in the first hour, go ahead and tell him about the possible uh, one-year transfer that we may have at running back. Yeah, no doubt. That's Andrew Bowie, 5'9", 192, uh, from West Virginia. He would have it a fifth year as well. He uh, visited uh, with a with uh, with some with a, with a great uh, someone close to him this past Saturday at the lineman camp for Alabama, uh, and really I think there was a lot of mutual interest there. Uh, he's he rushed for 1,255 yards uh, in his uh, three-year career there. Uh, had about 801 season in 2012. He's got 10 total touchdowns, 477 receiving yards. Big C. He would be a really a perfect replacement for Tyron Jones, probably. Uh, absent the uh, the the uh, straight out of the uh, or the uh, I guess you'd say boys in the hood mentality the kid brought to the football team could not stay out of trouble unfortunately uh, had a lot of off the field issues academically and and obviously what you saw with the final arrest with the with the obviously the drug uh, with the drugs caught on his person so you know Tyron was very talented but just made a lot of poor decisions off the field uh, now he's at Hutchinson Community College in Kansas and. Uh, I think uh, he he got a chance to reset, uh, start his career as Alvin Kamara did, and maybe wind up back at a big time school. But I think uh, for a year, Andrew Bowie is someone that uh, you know played a lot of good football in a high profile program like West Virginia, and uh, with the uh, the dearth of running backs at Alabama right now, and, they, and now they've gone from a position of a lot of strength and talent to there are some questions. And uh, if you get uh, Derrick Henry or, or Kenyon Drake uh, banged up next year, you need someone like this guy even with Damian Harris there and Bo Scarborough coming back from the knee. But I, I think Dewey would be a quality addition. Well, do you think he's going to, he's a, he'd be a graduate transfer? Is that what you're saying? Hello? Well, I mean, I, I, is, what, what, what is what, – now, now, now what, what is it, Big C, you're talking about? 
That's Andrew Bowie. Is he a, would he be a one year transfer? I mean, one of these guys that's always yeah, graduated. Yeah, he would be a, he'd be a fifth year guy, Big C. Okay, yeah, I just be, didn't know about him. Just, just like, like Mo Laney. Mm. That's pretty yeah, wild. He, he would be a fifth year guy. Mm-hmm. What this graduate transfer role has done, Big C, is it's kind of it's kind of like created a, a free agent pool in, in, in college football and basketball, where if somebody could fumble from another school and they still have eligibility, they can transfer and play one year. In some cases, two, but mainly it's one year at the university of their choice. And it's basically it's like free agent from the NFL, and, and you know Alabama hadn't done a lot of it, but they're starting to get with that program now. Well, they need to, you know, we're hearing about what happened to Flowers. That would be nice if this guy would come our way. I think there's a very good chance. And, no, Kerry was just saying he thinks there's a very good chance everybody joins the team. And I do as well. It was first reported by John Garcia. Andrew Bone threw it out there. Uh, Garcia had the information straight from the horse's mouth, as he usually does. Does a great job. It's come on BAMs many times. But uh, but and uh, he he uh, but he, he's uh, and he uh, has animated that he thought it was a very very good chance of it happening. And I agree. I think Andrew Bowie. Uh, it wouldn't even surprise me if by this weekend uh, we know that he's uh, joined the football team. But we'll have to wait and see. But I think he would be someone that would play a role, be very valuable as a receiver out of the backfield, and be someone. Uh, they could also help them run the football. If, as Travis Ryer said on my show today, though, you don't know yet if he can pick up blitzes, but he does bring a lot of, of uh, a varied skill set to the table. Mm-hmm. And these are guys, Big C, that would that would really enroll in summer school on the first of July, both of them. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, that's very interesting. I don't know what what else is going on from a football standpoint. Uh, anybody else committing anytime lately or or not? Well, Big C, I, as far as committing goes, I, you know, I, I, the one thing that has seemed to change over the last couple of weeks, and I think part of it is an academic situation, and part of it is because Alabama at this uh, at the at their one day camp this weekend, Dontavious Jackson from Elite. High school in Houston, Texas, uh, visited Alabama. He's six two, two hundred and thirty pounds. He's an inside linebacker, and he, I think he may have cost E. Roll E. Thompson of, of uh, Florence High School a spot in our class. And I'm really disappointed because I really love the kid's film. I think he's a baller, much like Keith Mixon. But it looks like he's going to end up at, at Mississippi State. He does have some academic work to do, but it looks like. Uh, that, that, that their two inside guys right now are going to be DeJuan Uly of uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, who they really like as a middle linebacker, and, obvi- and then uh, Riley Cole, the young man out of Oneonta High School, who's kind of like Keith Holcomb from uh, last year, has come out of nowhere, a major prospect, and who they decided to take. Mm. Well, only about eighty, about seventy something days, about seventy nine more days before kickoff. I'm getting ready for it to come around. Well, I'll be here before you know it. No doubt about it. You're right. Well, maybe see you anything else for us tonight, brother? I don't know of anything, but I'll be calling you like you said tomorrow morning to be on the show. Well, I think that's great, man. I appreciate it. We'll holler at you tomorrow morning. 
Uh, but for now, we're going to let you go because we do have another guest coming up in about 90 seconds. But uh, thank you. That's Colin Big C. McGuire of Greenville, Alabama, our regular caller every week about this time. Drew, you know, when you were talking about uh, E. Thompson and how he's probably going to end up in Starkville, it kind of made me think of something. In, in some ways, Nick Saban and his nationwide recruiting, and I'm, you know, uh, me and you both like getting guys from the state, but if you really think about it, Drew, Nick Saban and his nationwide recruiting has been about the best thing to happen to Dan Bullen because now he's probably going to get E. Thompson, uh, one of the better linebackers in the state, in the state loaded with linebackers, I might add. And he's also already got the guy that we wanted so bad last year, Keith Nixon, who I'm telling you is going to be a good football player in Scotland. Well, you and I both know that. <laughs> I sound like Jim from Tuscaloosa. That you know that you know that Drew. You know that Paul. No, but seriously, we both know that uh, Keith Mixon's going to be a good player. We both know that that Errol E. Thompson is going to be a good player. Uh, it's I, I just I had to make the analogy, Drew, that Nick Saban's really doing some serious favors to Van Mullen. He is. There's no question about it. Um, and we appreciate Big C for calling again. By the way, as well, I I. I uh, Always love hearing from him in Greenville, Alabama, but there's no doubt about it. Uh, I think Keith Nixon is a, uh, a great football player. He's small, but he, he just brings so much to the table as a receiver, as a runner, as a playmaker, kick returner. I agree. I think he's going to be a really good player in Starkville, and I think E. Thompson could be an even better player. I mean, uh, he's uh, he's a beast. Uh, he's very, very physical. Uh, he's just coming into his own, being a second full-year play in defense, uh, coming back from the ACL injury. Uh, really hope in a lot of ways that changes that Alabama takes E, we will see. But another football player that needs to fill out, Kerry, that I, wouldn't surprise me with all the guys from his high school that's already over in Starkville, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jeremiah Moon ends up in uh, that Mississippi State as well. I think that's a realistic possibility because Alabama just doesn't have that much room left at linebacker. And, I mean, if Jeremiah wanted to come to Alabama, I'm, I'm almost positive they'd ask him to take a – Red shirt like they did Christian Bell. I mean, a gray shirt, excuse me, like they did Christian Bell. I and, agree. Uh, a gray shirt would be very likely. But, you know, before we bring on the next uh, guest in just a moment, I, I want to ask you one more thing, Drew. And now, William didn't mention this, but other sources uh, that talked to our good buddy Rodney Orr have mentioned that, uh, that, that two guys that have stood out, uh, and William didn't mention either one, but I'm going to mention two guys that have stood out in drills. 707 condition, what have you, have been friend of this show and Errol Thompson's old teammate, Keith Anderson, and then a guy that may have to play a lot, depending upon the Bowie situation, uh, Damian Harris. Have you also heard that those guys are looking good this summer? I've heard the same thing. I've heard they've looked, that as far as with the with the uh, skills testing and as far as to, to test your explosive ability as a pure athlete that Damian Harris already ranks, among the, the better players on the football team, the more explosive athletes on the football team. Now, I think he's come in uh, with, a, with a case with a little bit of a Sean Alexander cockiness. It's kind of funny because they're both from Kentucky. But we all know that Sean backed it up. Will Damian Harris, I tend to think so. Uh, you remember his Under Armour performance, 16 carries, 116 yards, 36-yard touchdown. Uh, he was a team captain along with his future quarterback, Blake Barnett. So Damian Harris... I don't think there's any doubt he can make an impact. I mean, Keaton Anderson, everybody knows what I think of Keaton Anderson. I think he's been completely underrated uh, by the uh, recruiting services. I've talked to people uh, that that saw him at Florence in the media out there. They were even questioning if he could be an SEC football player. And all I know is just watch the film. 
watch the film every game. And if you've got a chance to watch that young man make plays and you still don't, you're not sure if he's going to be an SEC football player, then uh, I have to question your football acting a little bit because he stands out every time you see him. He's very skilled. He can move. He's got excellent closing speed. And the biggest thing is that there's no doubt that uh, he, he has a, uh, a nose for the football, and he's a football nerd in a good way. He studies a lot of film. He's a film rat. And he's, again, he's already, I, I'm hearing he's already nearing 230 pounds. And if he can still run the 4-5 scary, he's going to be to deal with. And I think he could be a beast at somewhere like a Sam linebacker and somebody that could even uh, line up as far as at the, at, at the star uh, at, the, at the star role on defense because he can move so well and he has an idea of coverages because he played safety some at Florence, depending on the situation. And it's telling, we've already talked about Keith Mixon, who was the only player last year that shadowed Mixon and it could tackle him in the open field. Oh, he's a wonderful player. I think Keith Anderson's got a great future at Alabama. But now we're going to turn the, the topic uh, to something that we really haven't talked about tonight yet, but we need to. Uh, even though it's not completely finished, it's almost finished as far as what's going to happen, who's staying, who's going, uh, and that is how the Major League Baseball draft affected Mitch Gaspar's University of Alabama team. And to help us out on that topic, I'm going to bring in a good friend of the show, uh, a super booster, an officer with the uh, Grand Slammers of the University of Alabama Baseball Program, your friend and mine, Colin from Tuscaloosa, Roger Myers. Roger, how are you doing tonight, man? Yeah, actually, calling from Destin today. But, yeah, I'm doing great. Okay. Doing great. And uh, we have gotten pretty much all the pieces that are going to happen other than one as far as how the draft affected Alabama. The one piece that's not quite decided is the future of center fielder Georgie Salem, a 39th-round pick of the Arizona Diamondbacks, an excellent organization and an organization that needs outfielders but that being said, the family has not made a decision yet. Uh, Roger, I know that you've had an opportunity a couple of times since the draft to speak to Georgie, uh, and I think you have the same gut feeling that I do, but I want to hear it from your mouth. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with that situation? Uh, I feel he's probably 90% coming back at this point. Um, the only, I mean, clearly he's – He's not a 39th-round talent. I mean, he's more an 8- to 10-round talent kind of guy this year, Come even um, even with the slow start he had to the season. But I think that the situation was talk got around about the the amount that he was looking for to sign, and then that dropped him down the board, and that's, that's how he ended up in the 39th round because, I mean, you know, people have seen him play know he's much, much more talented than a 39th-round player. But uh, he sounds like uh, he's sticking to the number that he wants, and if they'll somehow or another would meet that, you know, he would entertain the thought of going. But the possibilities of that happening are not not real great. You know, like I say, it's probably more than about a 90% chance that he's coming back at this point, which would be huge because losing uh, Mikey White and Casey Houston and Kyle Overstreet you know, it's a big, big part of the um, offense of this year, and the offense, you know, was was not stellar this year either. And those were the the mainstays of the of the offense. So it sounds like at this point he, he will be returning, which would be huge. And I think 
I think he would be set to have a really big year next year. Um, you know, if he does, if he does decide to come back, <clears throat> getting the news that <clears throat> Kobe Vance um, is going to come to school was a big, a big um, decision today too for the, for the uh, for Bama. He um, kid out of North Carolina that's an infielder that's that's uh, looks like he's you know one that might be ready to play right away. So that would be that. That's a big piece to come in to come to uh, Tuscaloosa for the year as well. And Roger, talking specifically about Colby Vance, he he turned down 16th round money, which is probably between 90 and 100,000 to sign, and then the 18-hour bus rides that they get in the minor league. But he has made the decision, announced via Twitter today, uh, that he is coming to Alabama, and I'm told that there's a strong chance, and hopefully you'll back me up on this, but I'm told there's a strong chance Colby Vance could be the opening day second baseman next year, which would mean a shakeup in the infield with Mikey White gone from shortstop. So kind of tell our listeners how the infield could shape up next year right. if Colby well, Vance I is mean, at I second. Think, I, think, um, I think all along, even coming in, you know, coming into last year before the year started, I think Mitch and the staff were looking at uh, knowing that, you know, Mikey, there was relatively no chance that Mikey would be back for his senior year. So they were basically grooming uh, Chandler Avant, you know, for that spot, even though obviously he wasn't going to play there, you know, this past season. And um, he played, the, you know, played there growing up and through high school and, and travel ball and all that. So I think they, I think the thought, is uh, look at him at shortstop, and um, you got Connor Short transferred in from Auburn, who started at third base for Auburn as a freshman. So he he would be available for third base or second base. But Kobe Vance playing second might be a um, you know he sounds like the type kid that that they want and that would be a a good fit there. And they also got the kid from Mississippi, the uh, Gene Wood coming in who's an infielder as well. So, you know, one of those guys could end up playing in the outfield somewhere. Uh, you're uh, you're counting on Georgie coming back. you got Georgie in center, but, I mean, you've, you've, got, you've lost your your right fielder. And then, you know, Avant played a lot of left field. Riley Colburn played some left field. Will Height played some left field. Uh, so you kind of got a, you know, revolving door there so um you know i don't i don't know you know the skill level of the kids in the outfield but vance and wood one of those kids might get end up out there as well um because avant had never played outfield when and he played a good bit of left field this year so uh you know if, if you find one that can swing the bat they're going to play somewhere and then you still have uh you know you don't have daniel Cougin in the senior year he's like, because uh, utility infielder that can play any of the spots, and you still got Chance Vincent and Cody Henry. Chance could play third or first, obviously, and then Henry's pretty much first base DH kind of guy. So if if Vincent played first and Vance played second, and Avant short and uh, Connor short third, that would put Cody Henry most likely at DH. And then 
you know, pick the pieces in the outfield. You still have Riley Colburn and Ron Blanchard and, um, I guess, Colton Freeman. Um, lost um, the kid from Phoenix City that were, that redshirted. Um, he's transferred out. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with his name. Um, First name was Jamal. Jamal Howard. Jamal, Jamal Howard. Jamal Howard is is going to JUCO, but from what I understand, and it has, this hasn't been officially released, um, Hunter Webb is said to be coming back too. So that's another another uh, outfielder that's got SEC experience because he played a good bit as a freshman two years ago, and then he went to JUCO this year. But when I saw Hunter during the season, he mentioned that he was he was trying to and planning on coming back to Alabama for for this coming year. So that would be a that would be another experienced um, outfielder to throw into the mix. With you know, he's got some speed and a good bat too, and good good gloves. So that would be somebody that would definitely be in the mix as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then I think Hunter will have Haney, Haney as catcher, and then um, sign Tanner Devaney out of Grayson Junior College, um, who's a catcher. And actually, uh, you know, here he might play a little infield, maybe first or third as well. And he was um, all Big 12 freshman team at Kansas State his freshman year, and then went to Grayson Junior College in Texas last year. He had a pretty big year, hit around 300 with 12 home runs. And so, you know, it's good to have a, a good potential bat coming in as well. So they'll have some interesting uh, interesting battles, I think, Um for some play and play in time, and there's some versatility where some guys can, several guys can move, move around to different places, um, play play several positions. So that, that's always good to have. And then pitching really wise, is, Roger. Um, pitching wise, just losing, um, well, losing Greer to the injury at the end of the year. That hurt, but um, Will Carter, and there were, you know, I mean, he was 14th round to the Yankees, and of course he signed. I mean, to me, there never was any question that that he, I mean, he was his third school and his third time to be drafted. So I mean, he, you know, he was going to go pretty much wherever. I mean, he came, he came to Alabama to be seen to get, you know, to get picked this year, and he had come, he was coming off surgery. And he just needed to show that he could, you know, that he has recovered. And he um, struggled early, but I mean, toward the end, when when he started coming out of the bullpen, he he had he had a lot better numbers at the last um, third of the season. And I think the scout saw that he, you know, had the pop on his fastball, and he wasn't bothered by the arm. So he was going. And of course, obviously, Gilbo being a senior, he's gone. But the pitching staff. Um, he's going to get John Keller back, and supposed to get Mike Oxypot back, both from from surgeries, and um, with Bramblett and Walters and Eicholtz, and then um, I, was, I was surprised Ray Castillo didn't get taken. I really thought somebody would draft him that he might might have gone, but Ray coming back, and then Thomas Burroughs on the backside. Uh, and then signing some young guys too. So there's there um the pitching staff to me looks to be the strength of next year's team at this point. 
and it wasn't. And Roger. Uh, it, uh, yes. No, I was just going to ask. Uh, obviously, they did sign a young man from Grayson uh, as a junior college catcher. Uh, right. Do you expect them to add any more pieces from the junior college circuit? Well, like like I was mentioning earlier, Hunter Webb. Um, even though you know he former Bama player, but he he was JUCO this year, and and I think uh, he very likely will uh, will join the team as well. I don't know if there's any others out there that that haven't decided. It's going to depend on, I guess, go down to the last minute like it always does. You know, and who's two signs and and who doesn't sign. Um, such a brutal brutal thing for college baseball coaches to have to <laughs> to deal with the. Uh, the way the draft does, uh, and then given the and the kids have you know into into August to sign, so you know you may your roster may get uh, hurt at the um, right before you know two weeks before school starts, like much like it did with David Robertson back back several years ago in 2006 when he um, signed after his season at the Cape. When um, you know all along, Coach Wells thought he was he had him coming back. So I mean, you can't blame the kids for signing, but it's just kind of a quirky situation where where you um, you just never really know what your roster is going to be until until the last minute. Roger, uh, for those of us who thought that Riley Norris was the skinniest man from out of Alabama. We were long when we met Alex Watkins. But unfortunately, Alex will not be able to go next year as well. I was uh, very surprised to find out that he was going to have to have Tommy John surgery following his true freshman year. Were you shocked with that too? Yeah, I don't know when when he because he just had the surgery just um a couple of this week. So I, I don't know where the um you know, when it if it happened Throwing after the season, or if if um, if he uh, oh, sorry if if it was just something that was lingering all along. But yeah, I was I was surprised, and that's another kid that got better as the year went along too. I mean, he had a little rough start, but he kind of had found his looked like he might have found his niche um, toward the end of the year, and he was um, doing you know doing fairly well coming out of the bullpen, but. That um, definitely definitely hurts, you know, the depth of the pen. And any time you have a left-handed arm that you lose, that that hurts because you can never have enough left-handers. So um, hopefully, it sounds like the surgery went well, and he'll he'll uh, rehab it and and be back the the following year without any without any problems. And we got a lot of. Um, experience with those injuries. <laughs> He'll have a lot of people to lean on. Uh, Pot had it twice, and Keller's had it, and uh, several other guys um, have had it over the years as well. Yeah, Roger, it's been sad that, uh, to see o- Ozipak have to miss the last two years because the last memory I have of him was the great game he threw against LSU and was the hard luck loser in the SEC tournament, uh, but uh, he really seemed to be coming into his own a couple of years ago. If they could get him back to uh, the level he was uh, looked like to be ascending, he would be a quality addition. Right, right. Yeah, he was pitching as a redshirt freshman uh, that year, and the next time he pitches, he'll be a graduate student. 
<laughs> as he's already graduated. <laughs> so it's uh, it's uh, it's been a long, long hard ride for him um, as far as that goes. He um, had that surgery and then you know thought he was recovered and then when he was throwing it popped up again and they they had to redo it. They told him that that was you know out of how many ever thousand they had done that was like the fourth or fifth time that, that something had happened where they had to, to redo it so it was unfortunate and he definitely would have been a big help the last couple of seasons but he'll be a he'll be a re- mature um, addition because uh, he's gosh I think he's 24 now <laughs> so he'll be uh, he'll be um, you know a good steady mature addition to the staff and along with Keller in his fifth year who's um helped him, Keller helped out a whole lot almost as a, almost like a coach this past season and very um he's very mature um young man that I think will be a big leader for the staff next year. Um and I look for him to pitch well too because he's um you know a good crafty left hander that's smart so Feel um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what, which way they go with the with the starters next year. Because Bramlett, I think, established himself. That, you know, he's going to be a top notch guy, and he's pitching very well in the Cape right now too. I think he's had two starts and and two quality starts up there so far. And you know he'll be he'll be a junior, so it'll really be time for him to just really step up, take that next step, and and be a be a quality you know Friday or Saturday type uh, SEC starter. Hey Roger, following uh, Big Penley's Twitter, which is at uh, ALA Grand Slammer, uh, Cody Henry and uh, Thomas Burroughs, who you mentioned. And uh, several other Alabama players are off to pretty good starts in the various summer leagues that they're playing yes, they in. Are. Uh, what, what are some of the things that have stood out to you in the first two or three weeks of summer ball for our kids? Um, Haney, a couple of home runs in the Cape already. And uh, we had a couple of stories that some of the writers up there have written about him, and he's playing his, regu- his normal good defense, throwing runners out. Um Henry, um, several game, multi-hit games, um, and one guy, um, Tyler Adams. I don't think he, I don't know that he's been scored on. It doesn't seem like from everything I've read, he's pitched five, pitched in five or six games, and uh, he's a big right-handed kid that was a redshirt freshman this year. That I think he just pitched like a third of an part of one inning this year for the whole season, and he's done well. And then Tyler McMurray. Uh, the his freshman from Kansas City, I believe, and he seems to be pitching well this summer as well. Um, Avant and Short, I've noticed that um, they've been getting some hits, and in um, Burroughs, you know, pitching up in the Cape, he's just he's continued his he came on very very strong toward the end of the season, and he's uh, been pitching very well. So that's all. That summer, summer ball is always good for um, good for those kids to to um, get some next, some more at bats and some some more innings in. Um, 
and and learn from some other people and come back confident and strong for the next season. And uh, Roger, real quickly, I know you talked a little bit about him, but uh, and he sat out as a transfer. I know his father Ben uh, coached at Jefferson State Community College and pitched at Alabama for Barry Schallenberger. But in back in the uh, early nineties, by around nineteen ninety one, but what kind of player is Connor Short going to be for Alabama? I think he's a good, solid baseball player. I, I um, watched him um, watched him at Auburn his freshman year when he played, and I mean he, you know he. He was always – he played good defense and he put the bat on the ball. Seemed like a good, solid, solid player. Uh, I know he's a good athlete. I mean, he, I believe he was quarterback at Hoover when he was in high school. So, I mean, you know, he's got some athletic ability and, and uh, good, you know, pretty good speed and a good glove and um, seemed like a good good bat, um, you know, to come in the SEC. I know that Auburn team was not very good, but um, – his freshman year, but I mean, he did start for him and played the majority of the games and had a had a decent season. So I look for him to um, to be a pretty good pretty good addition to the team. Um, like I say, it's, his dad was an All American at Bama, so it's kind of baffling that he was at Auburn to begin with. So we're glad to get him back home where he belongs. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, and like I say, I. Wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start at one of the one of the infield positions. Uh, whether it's you know, I would I would just personally thinking right now it might be third base, but I mean he could play short or second as well. So he's um, got a lot of those guys that are versatile enough to play in different spots. Yes, he's playing shortstop in summer ball, is he not? Uh, yeah, I believe that's for the majority. I know mean, he'll probably move around some, but I believe that's what he's doing. And that, and you know, in watching the fall scrimmages and the practices this year, he he played short a lot, but he did play some third and a little bit of second as well. So, so he, you know, he moved. They had him moving around, looking at guys at different places. So he did go through the the uh, fall scrimmages with the team, you know, before the season started. So they've got an idea you know, what he can do, and, and uh, he kind of knows the, the system well now. So I think he'll be ready to go, you know, to step right in and be ready to go. Well, Roger, just to kind of sum it up, uh, I, I think you can foresee a, a lineup of, uh, of Connor Short at third and Chandler Avan at short and Kobe Vance at, at, at second and Chance Vincent at first and uh, Cody Henry DHing. Georgie in center. Now, now that you've reminded us uh, that Hunter Webb is going to be coming back, and I had totally forgotten about that, I see him in left. So that leaves, yes. in my mind, one one open position, and, and that's right. And I want to say that if he can stay healthy, that Ryan Blanchard can help us in right, but I don't know what his health situation is. And I don't know right. if he has the arm to play right on a daily basis. How, how do you see right shaping up? Well, Ryan actually he he has a very good arm. Um, if if he can get that knee totally healthy, because it just never was this year. He, you know, it from that injury two years ago at Lafayette. He's he's still particularly on cold cold days. It really 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 bothered him, and you know, swell up on him after he ran. But I mean, tool wise, I mean, he you know he's got the ability. You just need you know just 
needs to put it together. He's got a good arm. He's he can run when he, when his legs healthy. You know, he's got a um, big, strong kid, good glove. So, I um, mean, yeah, he definitely could be in the mix, as well as some of the freshmen. We've got the Finnerty kid out of Pelham, you know, that top, one of the top high school outfielders in Alabama coming, too. We haven't mentioned him. He could get a, you know, he he could be out there as well. Or, you know, if one of the extra infielders, Vance or Wood or one of those kids as well. So, you know, there'll be some position battles that, um, and like I don't know anything about those other kids' arms, so I don't know. But I know, I know Blanchard does have a, you know, he's got an arm for right field. Um, he's played there a little bit. I know he's played mostly left, but he uh, he's played some right also. Um, but and I, I don't know a lot about the Finnerty kid other than what I've read, and you know, he sounds like a like a really good player as well. I think he's. Um, of course, like most kids in high school, he pitched too, but I think they have, actually have enlisted pitcher, outfield pitcher. So, you know, he I would assume he has a fairly strong arm. And I'm Roger, still since pretty you live in Tuscaloosa, uh, since you're a Tuscaloosa guy and you're there every day, why don't you bring our listeners uh, up to speed on uh, how the stadium renovation's going? And I don't even say renovation, it's a rebuilding. How's the right. rebuilt Joe going? It looks great. I, I was by their. Um, Yes, yeah, a couple of days ago, and the uh, they've started putting the the awning over the the seats uh, down the first baseline and started down the third baseline, and the um, you know it's starting to take shape. It's starting to look you know more like a stadium. Um, the everything I'm hearing and reading and seeing indicates it'll be ready for fall practice. So they um, once we keep some some good weather and uh, keep those guys out there working, um, you know, go get working as long and as hard as they can every day. I think that they'll um, be able to have it ready. It's going to be, it's going to be a jewel. I mean, it's really, really, really nice. There's, um, we have one box left to sell out of uh, the 12 that, that we have for sale. So anybody out there needs, wants a box, um, need to move fast. And, um, you know, little uh, plug, we're, uh, we're still take donations, too. We still, we're still trying to raise money. So <laughs> anybody wants to give, <laughs> contact me or, uh, or the baseball program and uh, send in. Uh, but we've, we've done well on the fundraising, and um, it's just going to be an exciting, exciting park. Um, really, really looking forward to getting it done. And uh, nothing against Hoover, but uh, it just never felt like home. You know, it just kind of just felt like a sterile environment. You know, no true home field advantage for any any games. Um, the difference having the kids out in the right field plaza last season just made such a huge difference. And I know the players missed that, and they look forward to to having that again and just. Being in a routine, not a not in a routine of getting on a bus every day, but in a routine of coming to the park and and actually being at you know at a home at a home game and a home practice and uh, I know they're really looking forward to it. Roger, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, great stuff as always. Uh, y'all can follow us on Twitter at Roger Pat Myers. It's Roger Pat Myers. 
And uh, y'all get a hold of Roger if you want to donate to that new stadium. But we're going to go ahead and sign off and call it a week. We want to thank Roger Myers for joining us along with Colin Big Steve McGuire and William Redfish Barger at Intel.com. And thank our sponsors, Asian Rim, located on uh, the Colonnade in Birmingham and Galveston Street in Huntsville, and also Big Head Barbecue. Uh, or Drew D'Armond, uh, 977 is only in Huntsville. Or Thomas Watts, that's down Magazine. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of scout.com. Thanks for listening to another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. Good night, everybody, and roll tide. Roll tide. As natural as I please, I'm in the heart of Dixie. Dixie's in the heart of me. Someday when I make it, when love